And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts for you to check out, like Remarkable People, hosted by Guy Kawasaki. Of course, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. The Remarkable People podcast with Guy Kawasaki helps you better understand the changing world with interviews from thought leaders, legends, and iconoclast. If you are interested in business, leadership, entrepreneurship, he interviews the best of the best, leveraging connections that he's built over his career. Here's some of the episodes and interviews that he's done. He's spoken to Seth Godin, marketing god, blogger, author. He's spoken to Pat Flynn, entrepreneur, power podcaster, and popular YouTuber. He's spoken to Jen Lim, happiness evangelist and author of Beyond Happiness. He's spoken to Steve Blank, author, entrepreneur, and startup whisperer. If you want to listen to incredibly intelligent conversations with some of the most remarkable people on the planet, listen to Remarkable People podcast by Guy Kawasaki wherever you get your podcast. Today, my guest is Jerome Maldonado. He is a highly successful real estate investor, entrepreneur, business owner, salesman, coach, and speaker. Over the span of his 20-year career, he's built an eight-figure empire and has mentored people from around the world in sales, real estate, business, entrepreneurship. He has done a lot. So he is an author. He's written a couple books. He is a founder of various companies. Obviously, he's also a very successful real estate developer and investor. Uh, he is an equity owner of uh, retail e-commerce ventures, which include Radio Shack, Pure One Imports, Model Sporting Goods, and more. He is a serial entrepreneur, like I mentioned, but he's one of the largest Subway franchisees in the nation. He's also invested in beauty salons, juice bars, and a variety of other assets. So what do we speak about? Well, let's go through the list of stuff that he's done and we sort of touched on everything. So um, real estate, we spoke about starting off in real estate, what to invest in. We spoke about the different types of real estate you can invest in, how to build a debt-free real estate portfolio, how to set up your real estate portfolio for downturns in markets, uh, what's gonna happen with real estate coming out of COVID. So we went into real estate, then we went into investment. So we spoke about uh, how... Uh, obviously, Jerome and his team decided to buy failing businesses such as Radio Shack, Pure One Imports, Models, Models Sporting Goods, and more. Um, and then we just spoke about some great business strategy, entrepreneurship strategy, sales strategy um, that he's used to grow real estate portfolios, uh, franchises that he's purchased, um, businesses that he's wanted to scale, including his own personal brand that he's building out right now. So um, he's done a lot. Um, so just a, a really, really well-rounded person. So if you want to learn anything about 
about real estate, um, about investment, about entrepreneurship, um, about some of the stuff he's done with like Ty Lopez and Alex Mayer, including in buying up Radio Shack, Pure One Imports, uh, Model Sporting Goods, which are just really interesting stories and why they chose to do that. Uh, we went into everything. So I hope you enjoy. So this is Jerome Maldonado, highly successful real estate investor, business owner, entrepreneur. And being read them, I was thinking, okay, God, I got to revise this and that. And, um, they're funny. We, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't start quite like that. And it's been, it's been a journey, right? And so developing business and life um, and getting to a place where we're at now is, has been a journey to get here and we're still moving, you know, we're still working and facilitating business. Uh, um, I'm, I'm in the office every day. I just got back from Phoenix yesterday where we uh, were undergoing uh, municipal um, approvals on variances and zone changes for projects. And so, um, but I, I come from, from just a normal background. I, I grew up in a, in a regular small Catholic family in, a, in, a, in Albuquerque. And, um, and we were taught just to go out and get, get a good education, Scott. And, um, and that's what I did. I went through, I went through, uh, through school. I was dyslexic. I struggled um, in school and I, um, I was never, it was never my forte. Um, but I knew I wanted better in my life. So I went to college and I was in pharmacy school. And in the midst of pharmacy school, I was introduced to a direct sales and network marketing company. And I, uh, um, I bullhorned the company and I, um, I, I went full force with it. And um, I took a little sabbatical from school um, for four and a half years. And I struggled for about three of those four and a half years. And about the last year and a half, um, I really hit home runs with it. Um, and it was because I stayed persistent with it. I, I went broke. I went through some really hard times. Um, financially, um, but they were some of the best times of my life. You know, I got to travel this country, um, being poor and broke, um, and how we did that. We extended credit and just went into debt and we slept on people's couches and and we built a business. And um, I was fortunate enough in my young twenties to make a strong, strong six figures. And in the nineties, that was a great income. Today, it's a great income, but really a great income in the in the nineties. Um, and so, um, the life changed. Life has its alterations. In nineteen ninety seven, the FTC. Came in, did a regulation on network marketing companies. Um, our company was one of them. It got shut down, and we were left with zero. And um, that's when I came back, finished my schooling, and in the interim time of finishing my school, my my schooling, I opened up a business, and I opened up a construction company of all things. Didn't even have any construction experience, um, but I helped my brother-in-law go get a contractor's license, and I landed up with a contractor's license. God only knows how, and um, but I knew how to sell. And Scott, the biggest thing in business is if you can learn how it, um, how the best salespeople in the world sell, and it's through building relationships, not through actually selling. There's no like these uh, all these Zig Ziglar old school techniques. Um, we live in a different society now, right? So we learned how to build relationships in direct sales and network marketing. And I knew how to go out and build. Uh, I knew how to network, and I knew how to build a, a foundation. Um, to the business. And I did. And so we did seven figures our first year, not knowing anything about construction. Um, I applied some simple concepts that I learned from from simple books like Think and Grow Rich, employing the efforts of other people, um, get people who know how to do things you don't know how to do and implement their their talents. And, and, and so those simple concepts that I was taught at a young age, I implemented and um, we killed it. We still own that company today. That's J. Jacob Enterprises. It was JM Enterprises back then. And we incorporated back in 2001. And um, we've been the same company since 2001. And um, that company has taken us through, through some journeys for sure. And um, it's, it's, been a great, it's been a great road. Um, we've, we've rode the roller coaster of the recession and 
economic changes and we've pivoted and uh, we're still here and we're still standing. We've, we've done extremely well and we've been very blessed. So thankful for that, Scott. No, I, I appreciate the story. Um, and, and I appreciate your willingness to jump into things because that's also not easy. You have a personality, obviously, that uh, sort of goes after something. And I just see that in, in the way that you've gone through and gone into all these different ventures. So construction. So, yeah, so network marketing was sort of like your, your training ground for sales. Um, pivoting into your own business, construction. Construction is really the kickoff point of of entrepreneurship and building your own thing in, in your life, correct? And then everything else has sort of flowed from there? It was, you know, and I never really considered myself, you know, when I was young, my parents always told me that if I didn't get educated, I'd land up in construction. So I always had this little um, pet peeve in the back of my mind that I was I was less of a person for, for being in construction because my parents had told me that. And even when I was making a ton of money, I always kind of, when people would ask me what I do, I'd always tell them I'm in business. And I never really owned up to owning a construction company. And um, and it took me years to warm up to uh, to being in construction because of the stigma hmm. that uh, contractors have, um, you know, being, uh, you know, less affluent. Um, you know, they they're, they're, there's that stigma yeah. of contractors, you know, that they're not reliable and there's just all this stuff. And that's really how we built our company is... Um, I said, you know, I'm going to create a business in a blue collar industry where we run it like white collar professionals. And um, in the in my whole means behind that madness when I first opened up was if I if I created a company where I ran it like a white collar professional and I acted like a white collar professional, which I was, you know, and 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 in all honesty, my college degree gave that to me because I felt like when I sat across the table from a client, uh, a business colleague, um, when I was doing stuff government big governmental jobs. I never felt inferior to them. I didn't feel like I was that undermined, uneducated um, contractor. I felt like, okay, I've got my education. I know how to speak well. I've done what I need to do. Maybe it's not in in, th in this industry, um, but it gave me a level of confidence to sit down across the table. And I decided, you know, I'm going to run a, a blue collar business as a white collar professional in a white collar manner. And we're going to, we're going to go in and we're going to take advantage of this industry and that is lucrative, which I didn't realize. Yeah, at the time. yeah. And that's it's a lot of money in, in construction. <laughs> I was going to say, there, yeah. there's a ton of money. Ton of money. No, I was going to say, um, you, you almost, uh, you almost leverage like your experience. Like you had, you had an incredible imposter syndrome, from what it sounds like going into this. But like, as 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 all entrepreneurs do, like they have this imposter syndrome. Like I shouldn't be here, or, you know. So you have to get through that in your head, and that's. I think that's actually how you ended up being successful is, is pushing through that. Um, and that's probably something that I don't know if you want to speak on imposter syndrome or what your thoughts are on that, but that's something that I'm seeing just from your, your story. Yeah. Well, and I think we all battle different things yeah. like that, right? We society labels us as what we're, what we're, what's respected and uh, not respected and what, you know, and, um, and we live our lives trying to, I think, fulfill other people's expectations and society's expectations of ourselves. And when you really start hitting a level of success is when you stop caring. Um, I, I spoke in front of a, a huge group a couple, two years ago, and I was going to speak on, on real estate and business. And, and, and then the, uh, the gentleman who put on the event, he came to me, Scott, and he said, hey, Jerome, can you do me a favor? These are young professionals just getting, going into college, getting out of college. They're just really confused on their direction in life. And, um, and we want to give them something that they can uh, really hang on to and move forward with that can help them really and honestly in their life. And so I did this thing. I said, you know, I, I sat there that morning in my hotel room 
And I got a piece of one of my yellow tablet books. I, I, I have these all over my house. I got these little yellow, yeah. these yellow tablets everywhere, all over my house. And I carry them with me. I travel with them. And, um, and I sat down, I outlined. I said, you know, why do most people not succeed at what they do? And, it's, and, I, and I thought to myself, why did I succeed? And I remember moving from Albuquerque all the way to the Washington, D.C. Beltway. And I was living in, in, uh, in Alexandria, Virginia. And I moved out there because I remember looking at a map. And I thought, okay, where do we need offices and training centers for the network marketing company I was in? And I had little pins all over where training centers were. And there was New York City, um, up by Wayne, New Jersey, Washington, D.C. I said, you know, I'm going to go so far that I can't turn around and I cannot come back home. And I'd, I was getting ridiculed at the time by, by colleagues, by friends, by schoolmates, by my parents, by everybody. And, um, and I thought, you know, if I can just get away from all this, I'll just, I'll, I'll have such a better way of succeeding. And so I sat there that morning and I thought about it and I said, you know, if people were behind a blindfold and nobody could see their failures, I bet you anything that they would try more stuff because they would just pick up the pieces and just try again. Right. Because then it's not on public display. They're not getting judged. They're not getting criticized. And so I got in front of the room and I, I did this speech about, you know, when you stop caring about what other people think and you live your life in a fashion where you can go in and you act like you are behind blinders and you stop and you stop uh, being concerned with other people's judgments against you, that's when you'll truly succeed. And it was at that point in my life where I sat back and, and I've had many, many, many instances where I have felt this way. And I think we still go through this even today, you know, and people say, well, you've been successful. Why would you go through that? And I think there's a level of there's a level of um, of acceptance in our mind that we want from people, right? But um, but when you stop caring, as long as you're doing things right, I tell my children this. I say, look, don't worry about what other people think. People are going to be just mental, and and if if you aren't doing anything wrong, you're doing things right, and you're not hurting anybody, you shouldn't have to worry about what people think. And in fact, when you stop caring about what people think and your life's not on public display anymore, what you realize is that your life becomes less interesting and they don't have anything to talk about. And so you just move forward and then you become a success in your own right, in your own story. And when you can put those blinders on and go through life without worrying about what other people think, and you don't worry about failing because if you could pick it up and and I, I've always said, if you have your health, you have everything. It, because if you have your health, you can pick up all the pieces when you make mistakes. If you, even if you embarrass yourself, and then you just go move, move forward with things, you know, and you do that if you're doing things the right way, you know, honestly, ethically, so forth and so on. And so, and it was a successful speech. People loved it. Um, I got a ton of feedback from it. And so I, I've always, I've always went back to that and I say, you know, that really is um, a, a pivotal pack factor to people succeeding is to, to stop caring what other people think and then just move forward and make your mistakes. You're going to make them. You were all human. Um, doesn't matter who you are and how talented you think other people around you are. Um, we're all going to move forward and we're all going to make our mistakes doing so. So that's, that's a, that's a good, that's a good life lesson. And that's something that, you know, you brought out of, I appreciate the story and, 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 and just framing that. That's very, that's very good advice. So that's what you, that's what you, you know, you, you found that while you dove into construction, you built the construction. So after, after construction, that was sort of obviously what solidified 
you know, your first, your first probably level of financial success in your life. So all the, all the things that you've worked on, like your, your keynote speaking, you're working on, uh, I think it says over 400 real estate transactions. Uh, you work, uh, with distressed, um, brick and mortar brands. How do you decide what to work on next? How did your career progress to the point where even where you are today? And, and because there's so many different avenues we could take with this. So uh, I'm yeah. curious where you want to take it. Just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Get Abstract. Now, if you're trying to figure out where to get information from, where to learn, where to read, there's so much stuff out there. It's like information overload. What Get Abstract does is it finds, rates, and summarizes top business books, articles, and video talks into 10-minute abstracts to help people make better decisions in business and their private lives. I know you don't have hours to kill, but you still want to learn. You still want to upskill. This is where Get Abstract really helps. Over 22,000 text and audio summaries in areas such as leadership, finance, innovation, health, and science, and many more. If you want to get to the meat of various texts, articles, books, videos, go sign up for Get Abstract. You can get a free month for all Success Story podcast listeners by visiting Get ab.li slash success. That is get ab, G-E-T-A-B dot L-I slash success. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Leica. Now today, compliance is mandatory for every single technology-powered business. From increasing regulatory requirements to customer uh, security questions, wondering how personal and private data is stored, collected, and kept safe, Businesses need compliance to scale and grow. Leica makes the entire compliance process simple. Their platform combines automation with built-in expertise to help companies get certified, close deals, and approach compliance the right way. Leica goes beyond simple integrations. Their platform connects to your everyday applications and applies actual human expertise to a robust software that powers compliance. They easily connect to all of your applications and create tailored policies based on your business. Then compliance experts guide you through automated workflows designed to help you conquer certifications like SOC 2, HIPAA, and GDPR. And Leica is the only compliance solution that offers a true integrated audit solution. No more messy spreadsheets or miscellaneous audit documents. Their team of experts manage your compliance audit from start to finish, with full progress tracking in the actual app. And Leica is more than a one-time solution. So after you've set yourself up, maintain 100% that you are always compliant going forward with custom monitors and alerts. Compliance is difficult. It's messy. It's confusing. But it's also a necessity. So we all have to figure it out. And it's hard to unpack the requirements when we don't know what they mean. Or how do we apply them in a certain way that makes sense with our budget and our stage of growth? So this is what Leica does for you. It removes all the compliance headaches. And again, not just software, but you get access to a full team of specialists that do this 24-7, 365. So if you are a business leader and you are trying to figure out how to be compliant, because again, you have to figure it out. Leica is the only software I've ever found, and not just software, but team that fully supports business leaders that are trying to get this done right. So all Success Story podcast listeners get 20% off Leica whenever you sign up, but you have to go visit heyleica.com slash success, and you will get your exclusive deal just for Success Story podcast listeners. 
That's H-E-Y-L-A-I-K-A dot com slash success to request a demo and get 20% off when you sign up for Leica. I, I, I live one day at a time, but I, but I always work towards the future. And so what that means is I'm always looking at the future towards my end goal, right? My end goal is to have a solid passive income that I've always wanted. But then there's always end goals, you know, and then we get to a, a milestone and we move forward with them. But in the interim time, I always, I've always had this belief that God will lead us in the direction that we need to go and put the right people in there as long as you're driving forward. And where most people make the mistake is they think, okay, God will just lead me in the right direction. But you got to be driving a vehicle forward. And so construction landed up being that vehicle for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I've always I've, I've kind of pivoted into other industries and areas where I've done that. And um, and truth be told, you know, all the stuff that we're doing, like I'm doing with Ty Lopez and Alex Mir, I would have never thought I would have been in those industries and be yeah. working in e-commerce um, stuff at all. Um, but when 2008 hit, we went through a lot of um, um, reevaluations in business, right? We I had office buildings that were my buildings that were being constructed. I had retail centers that were my retail centers that I was developing. I had subdivisions going up that were in my subdivisions that I was developing going up at that time. And um, thank God the subdivisions were, we were building cash. We were building them debt-free at that time. But the retail centers and the office complexes, we weren't. And those almost pulled me under. And um, we, when, we, when this happened, and, they, and I almost got pulled under financially, um, we wrote or tied rope for about three to three months. And some people sit back and go, okay, you know, um, poor you, right? Yeah. Wow, wow, three months. Well, let me tell you, those were temperature taking three months. When you go through 1998 till 2008 for a full decade and you make, you're making seven figures strong and you're doing, you're doing well over strong six figures on a monthly basis in revenue and your, and your income goes back down to five figures in a monthly basis and low five figures, um, your temperature gets taken, especially when you have yeah, um, sure. millions of dollars in debt on your books, right? And the income stops revolving um, and it's outside of your control. So- I, I, it took me five years to clean up everything that we went through in the recession. Now, we, we did make immediate pivots. And by in December of 2008, things got really tough. And then all the way till April of 2009, it continued. And so there was a, a, there was a, a time period there that was very temperature taking. By April of 2009, I worked my ass off from December. And I, mean, I always work hard, but December, January, February, March, I think I, were the, the, the four months that I probably worked as hard as I did for the first day that I had opened up. And I was worth about $14, $15 million at that time. And so we weren't broke or poor by any stretch of the imagination, but our money was tied up. Yeah. Our capital was tied up in assets. And so um, I went back to work and I put my head down to the grindstone. And um, I, woke, I woke up every morning bright and early and I went to work with a vengeance. And um, I started trying to figure things out. That's where that Ray Kroc model comes yeah. into play. Um, or, or with, um, with real estate. Um, I started buying subway stores. Um, I started um, opening up beauty salons. I became an Aveda certified um, yeah. owner and a biologic owner. And we started opening up businesses in our retail centers and we started making adjustments. And, um, and, it, in, and by April of 2009, we had a business plan and we were functioning and pushing towards that business plan. And we were starting to be able to make a leeway into at least being able to pay for our assets, not like leaving ourselves alone, but moving forward. So all the way into 2012, we uh, continued this process. We slowly started selling off assets um, that we, that were, were bad um, nagging assets that were on our, on the, on the back of our shoulders. And we started moving and pivoting. 
And then from those assets that we bought and we started buying real estate in Phoenix, um, it grew. And the, the money that we spent at that time um, was so well vested. And I didn't know at the time that it was going to do this, but I had invested about a million dollars into just not even C-class real estate. It was like D-class. It was just, net, you know, just subpar real estate in the Phoenix area. And that stuff turned into about $15 million worth of assets now in today's value. Um, from about a million, a $950,000 investment that I made into just nominal real estate. And then I scaled up, I sold that off, 1031 exchanged it to an apartment. That stuff has all evolved. And here we sit in 2021. And that apartment complex that I bought from all that, that, that garbage I bought is worth about $15 million today. And that happened just from being able to recognize the pivots, right? Yeah. Yeah. And be, and be okay to jump into those pivots and, 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 and accept them as opposed to just sort of staying part for the course yeah. what, with, with, with what you've been doing for the past X amount of years. And, you know, and, and so in 2018, I started about 2016, I started feeling stagnant. I felt like I, felt like I got beat up by the recession mentally. Um, I felt like we hadn't really evolved at the, at the rate that I wanted to. We had evolved. Um, but even at that time, I was just in 2016. That's when I started selling off some of these assets. I still felt like we our net worth hadn't really grown a lot. Um, that our our net worth had, you know, we had we were making good money, uh, we were making investments, but I didn't feel fulfilled. I felt like I had just worked to maintain, and so I started feeling this level of uh, this lack of fulfillment in 2016. I even told my wife, I said, "Man, I go, I've worked so hard. I just don't feel like we've." evolved to the level that I feel like I should be at when my talents really are. And so in 2016, I started making some, some moves and I started making some changes and I really started trying to scale again. I said, okay, I've got to, I've, I've got to get bold again, as bold as I was when I was younger. Um, I've gotten too conservative. I'm playing it way too safe, um, but I've got to be smart about it. And so that's when I started doing research and I, I, finally, I started looking into other influencers um, one of my closest um, friends, like a brother to me, um, he, Rick, he, he reached out and said, look, you need to look at these influencers. These guys are, are people that are doing stuff. And he, he was introduced me to like Grant Cardone and these guys. And so I started investing money, yeah. spent a couple hundred thousand dollars investing with Grant to go to 10X GrowthCon as an investor and, um, and meet people. I, I got a chance to go to the back. Um, um, I was in the, uh, um, I got to go into the uh, VIP section with all the speakers and everything. And so I got to start meeting people. And that's where I started meeting Ty and, and these guys and they were speaking and I paid to play Scott. Um, I said, you know what, yeah. if I'm going to get in, I'm going to get current with stuff and I'm going to get bold again. Um, I'm going to, I don't care what I need to do. Even if I have to buy my way to the top, um, financially, I'm going to do it. So I literally just started putting down my credit card and buying $25,000 masterminds and, and, um, just mm -hmm. working my way into their inner circle. Um, financial, doing it fi in a financial basis. Um, and then I started showing my value, you know, and I, I thought if I'm going to do this, I'm going to network my way to the top and buy my way there and then network, show my value. And that's what I did. I, I went in there. I offered my assistance. Um, I started helping them with real estate stuff and, um, and, and I did it for free. You know, um, yeah. most people are looking for compensation. Um, I wasn't looking for compensation. What I needed is I needed that, that social, um, exposure and, um, and I needed yeah. the, uh, the people that were already there. And so, and so that's how we did it. And then we, I, I became the CEO of uh, ESR e-commerce supporting real estate. Um, we partnered up and, um, and so here we sit today and there's a lot, there's a lot of intermixed uh, businesses and, and transactions and relationships that go into all of that. Um, but here we sit and that's how that's all evolved in that push that, that decision that I made in 2016. 
and things have evolved, Scott. We've gone, we've grown, we've grown a lot. We have a lot on our books, and we have a lot mm -hmm. of transactions and a lot of projects that we have going that we're undertaking right now. So I'm I'm curious to unpack every, every all your your mindset is just very interesting because I I see the the vast amount of people that don't want to pay to play, and I'm not an advocate for or against. I'm just I'm curious to understand. You made that decision, you invested, you go to masterminds, you're, you're working with, uh, you're sitting backstage at 10X GrowthCon with Grant Cardone, you meet Ty Lopez and whatnot. A lot of people feel like there's no, it doesn't make sense to pay, like you can get there anyway. So, or it's just a waste of money. These people, like they're not going to provide any value for you. So how do you decide what to invest in or who to invest in? Because obviously it's worked out. Like it's, you know, you're the, you're the, the living example of somebody who's, who's spent the 25, 50, a hundred thousand bucks to get in the room with the right people, um, which in and of itself is a, is a, is a, it's something that not a lot of people are comfortable doing. So you did it, you did it strategically. How do you, how do you find out who you want to spend the money on when there's so much bullshit out there, when there's so much stuff that's a waste? You, you got to look for the good people, right? Um, their actions speak louder than words. Um, documentation, I've always been taught, beats conversation. Um, mm. So you can you can smell shit from a mile away, Scott. Um, and, and you really honestly can. And so one, one of the things that I've tried to do, even through my platform, is just let people realize, like, look, we're, we're the real deal. You know, I mean, I'm out here working. Uh, we've, we're facilitating millions yeah. and millions of dollars of deals. Um, and we've worked it. We've worked it from the bottom all the way to the top. And I'll tell you that I learned years ago. That was the one thing that when I first got started in network marketing, that the, the, the young lady that brought me into the business, Angie Lucido, she, she told me, she goes, she was drawn. I asked her, I, I looked at Angie and I go, Angie, I don't get this business. What do I do? And she goes, Jerome, you need to get trained. And I said, how, where? And she goes, look, and she, she pointed to the calendar. She goes, there's, there's a place in, De there's one in Denver, there's one in Houston, there's one in Pennsylvania. She goes, you need to go train. Scott, I drove all over the country and every weekend I was getting trained. I was spending $300 a weekend to get trained back in the early 1990s when $300 was a lot of money. Yeah. But people today, they won't even invest $300 into themselves. And I mean, I, I have a backpack in my closet that I keep and it's a reminder because I open up that backpack and every single notebook from every single seminar that I've ever been to is in that backpack. Um, and then I have every single um, pass that I, that I, um, every, every time I got a little ticket stub from every training that I have. And it's just a testament to my success because um, I was taught years ago that the level of success you reach is, through the, is, is based on the level of education that you're willing to go to. And I've always been trained. Um, even to this day, I, I spend money, I invest money being trained. There's, there's people that, that know more than I do. I invest in the books, the, in the research, um, the training. And so it was a no-brainer to me at that time. I knew what I needed to do in 2016. I, I felt stagnant. I hadn't come up to date with technology, mm -hmm. with uh, e-commerce. Hadn't done that stuff. And so I knew that in order to do that, uh, to get to where I needed to go, I needed to get with people that were doing it. And so I did research. Um, I didn't know anything about Ty Lopez at that time. Didn't know who he was. Didn't know who Grant Cardone was. Through the means of people that I respected, um, my buddy Rick, um, they started introducing me to some of these influencers. And then I started doing research. And there was a lot of noise out yeah. there. There really there really is. And so I just, I didn't get it. I, I ignored the noise. And I just focused on people that looked like they had real stuff going on. And so fortunately enough, I just went to the top of the, of the people that looked like they had the biggest things going on in the industry. And um, like I've always said, if you want to learn how to do things, go straight to the top yeah. and, um, and surround yourself around them. And so I didn't waste any time. I just went straight to the top and I started influencing myself around the top of influencers 
in the industry. And, and I paid to play and I was willing to pay to play. And some people will sit here and say, well, Jerome, you had the money. There was a time, Scott, I didn't have jack shit. Yeah. I didn't have money. I was leveraging credit cards. And I'll tell you, I, I would leverage my credit cards to a T. Then I'd write a check from Norwest Bank. If anybody remembers Norwest Bank, it's been that long ago in Bank of Boston. I'd write them a check from my Norwest Bank account that had zero money in it. And by the time the payment went in and it bounced, I'd already had the card maxed out again. <laughs> and that's what I did. Now, some people could sit back and go, that, that, you know, that that's not right. Look, I didn't have the money back then. That, I just did what it took to make it. Look, I paid all that back and yeah, more. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, yeah. in, in more time. But, but Scott, I, I just did what yeah. it took to be able to get to where I'm at and understood the importance of it. And so for those of you guys saying, well, he had the money to go out and pay $25,000. Ladies and gentlemen, there was a day and age that I didn't. And um, I just did whatever it took to make sure that I, I got the training I needed. And um, I, I really, truly believe, Scott, that the reason I'm here today is because of that. And so it, made, it was a no-brainer yeah. to me that I was going to have to pay. And I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on stuff and between 2018 and 2020 um, to get to the relationships and the business partnerships that I have and I'm sitting with right now today. So I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, with the holidays in full swing, we're that much closer to a new year, which means New Year's resolution. And we often focus on what we feel we failed at health, relationship, finances, but what if we tried something new this new year? And instead of acknowledging what we failed at, let's acknowledge what we did right, the things we want to continue doing more of, the relationships we want to show appreciation for, and what if we did that for our businesses? HubSpot is challenging businesses to focus on how to grow better, starting with our customers. Because the HubSpot CRM platform is dedicated to making the connection between you and your customers, better than ever. How? Well, new tools like native payment links and recurring payments that directly embed in HubSpot's quoting tools and emails means seamless delivery and payment collection. And custom surveys easily capture feedback unique to your business, share insights with your teams, and help you understand what makes your customers tick. Learn more about how a HubSpot CRM platform can help build, maintain, and grow your customer relationships at HubSpot.com. I think it's, I think it's a smart note, and I know that a lot of people that in in even in my circle, I know uh, they do pay to play, but I think that it's two pieces that you have to take into consideration. You have to you have to pay, of course, and you have to know who to go after. You have to do your research, do your due diligence. If you want to get in their circle, there's a good chance that you don't have access to them. So you know you're paying for access, but then you have to you have to have the attitude that you're going to action. You're going to action on stuff. Like it doesn't matter. You you can pay twenty five thousand, pay hundred thousand, pay nothing. If you don't action on anything, you're not getting anywhere. That is a huge piece. Um, and I told my wife that when I did. I said, you know, you know what's sad? I told her is I told her, look, we're going to go in here. I'm going to network with the top. And I said, take a, a collective um, a collective view of everybody that's part of this. And there'll be maybe a handful of people that out of the hundreds of people that get involved in yeah. this stuff, um, actually go out and do anything. And, um, and rightfully so. Here we sit a few years later and myself along with a handful of people. Uh, are the only ones. And um, I, I like to sit back and say that I've probably been the most proactive out of all of that entire group um, in regards to those specific relationships and business endeavors. And I know other people have went out and scaled their own personal businesses. Um, but my goal was to partner with some of these people and, and help push our brand, help push our business. And so I, I like to say that we're probably one of the more successful ones in doing yeah. so. And it's because of us being able to take action, push and push and push, but show value of what that action is, right? Is give back value um, for those actions and show what we actually know and deliver, you know, to people in value. So, yeah, agreed. Um, okay, so uh, 
I guess I will, you know, you mentioned a few things that I, I would just love to, for you to break down. Um, not, you don't have to go into, go into as much detail as you want. Two things that I'm curious about is, uh, building, building a debt-free real estate portfolio. That's something that I, I think is, is difficult for people to comprehend. What does that mean? How do you do it? How do you get started in real estate? That just like a, at a high level, cause you've lived it your whole life. And then I also wanted to get some opinions on, uh, what you're doing with all these distressed brands and e-commerce because that's also what you're living right now yeah. so just some some very tactical real estate advice for people that are trying to get into the into the game so i, I like buying land and building houses it's made me a shitload of money scott i've, I've made a ton yeah. of money there's a lot of fix and flip people out there they're watching this and I, I don't like the fix and flip game it's not my deal um i tried it um there's, there's too many variables the risk factor for the margin returns are are, are not worth it to me. I can make substantially more money um, buying land and building and building houses. And so when you ask about building a, a debt-free real estate portfolio, that's how I did it. Um, I went out, I bought a, a $30,000 piece of land. They're still out there today. I just bought three lots, each of them costing $45,000 in Palm Springs, California. I'm building, uh, I just bought three of them. I'm getting ready to buy another three. We're gonna have six homes going up in there. Um, collectively, we'll make about $1.1 million on uh, net profit. Um, between all of those. And um, and it's something that we'll have finished out by next spring. Um, and so, I mean, that's just one little tiny example, right? That's just one little piece of one little tiny project that we have going on. Um, we're doing the same thing up in the Seattle area. And mm -hmm. we take that money and I won't pay taxes in the state of California. Well, I'll, I'll pay, we'll pay taxes, right? But we won't, we won't pay what most people pay in taxes because we'll deploy that capital and we'll expense it into a larger asset. We'll take that money and we'll deploy it into a larger asset and um, so you start off with this little piece of land, and I took a home equity line of credit out of my house to build the first the first house that I ever built. And then I had a little bit of money in the bank saved. And between the little bit of money that I had in the bank saved plus the home equity line of credit that I took out of my house, um, I went out and I built my first house cash. And so when I say debt free, um, I used I used debt on my personal assets, which um, it wasn't it, they aren't assets; they're liabilities, right? Yeah. That's where people make the mistake. They're, they're liabilities. If you if your real estate and your properties are not making you money, it's a liability. Um, you have to be making money on it. And so I leveraged my personal real estate, which wasn't worth a darn sitting there, um, paid off. And I leveraged that to get started in early years. Um, I had money tied up in it. I had to put big down payments because I had bad credit um, in order to get my first house. And so I took that money back out when my credit was, was good again. And I deployed it. I deployed it into, into an investment. And I took that investment. Instead of paying my house off, I kept revolving that capital. So I, I built the first house. I made an $80,000 profit. I had saved up a little bit more money in the interim time with my, with my construction company. And then I took that capital and I went and built two houses cash. And, um, and then I, I made about 90000 on each of those. And this all happened in the same calendar year. So I landed up building three single family homes in the first year and I made about $260,000, $270,000 net profit plus we had made money in our, in our regular company. And then I still had the capital that I had, I had pulled out of uh, my, my single family home and the money I had saved. And so we had about a half a million dollars in liquid capital. And so I took that half a million dollars and I built three homes with it. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, and then I, I just kept evolving and I kept building it and, um, and I did it methodically and I never... I never drew on it. I just lived modestly um, with the capital that I was building my business with and the capital that I was generating through buying land and building houses. I just kept revolving that capital and just grew 
from half a million dollars to a million dollars to yeah. two million dollars and it has continued growing and we kept using that capital to build out subdivisions and we always did it debt free i didn't and when the recession hit i didn't have any debt on any of our homes i i didn't owe the banks any money um now our cash producing entities like our buildings our offices our apartments those we would leverage debt on and we still do today um and it's because those are those have passive income they also have internal rates of return there there's different types of capital plus there's tax benefits to me doing it the way i do it and there's a there's a lot to learn it's a loaded question scott yeah i know there's i know a lot <laughs> real estate but in 10 minutes <laughs> yeah yeah but that that's how we did that's how we did it okay. we, that's how we built a debt free portfolio when when the recession hit i would take that capital i was doing I'll tell you, the best industry in the whole world in real estate is buying land and building houses, Scott, hands down. So why, why, as opposed to multi, like multi-res? Why? Because that's you're the first person I've ever met who doesn't just buy a whole bunch of doors. And I, that's actually, I'm, I'm really curious okay. about that. Why you went into so building? We need cap. Well, you can go in and buy doors, and for the for the average person. There's an art behind buying apartments, okay? There is. There's an art behind it. Yeah. It's not just like, hey, I'm going to go look for an apartment complex, buy it, and do it. There's, there's a lot of moving pieces to it. Um, I know that Grant makes everything look really, really sexy and really, really simple and easy. Um, and it's yeah. not. You know, I've been in the business, too. I, I own apartment complexes. I, I have an office building. It's a, it's a $16 million project I'm doing in Phoenix right now. I'm taking it. We're, we're building out new apartment a new apartment complex 50 units on the back side and we're, we're converting another 52 units on the front side of the office complex into multifamily. and then i have a project over in tacoma that we're working on and we're going to build 120 units of multifamily over there so i know it from the ground up from the dirt all the way to the to the management side of it stabilizing it and owning it as an investor because i've done it and we own it we own stuff like that and so um you can go out and you can buy doors and you can raise the capital but there's a lot of moving pieces to that whole deal, right? Like I was sitting with, with my business partner, Kyle Mitchell, yesterday in Phoenix. And we sat down and said, man, the part I hate the most is raising capital. You know, I hate raising capital. Mm -hmm. And so I try to do as much stuff with a limited amount of partners. Is, is, and I like to have affluent partners. And I'm an affluent partner, right? I'll, like if I can't raise the capital, I'll just write a check for it. And that's what I told Kyle yesterday. He goes, hey, we're 200 yeah. grand short on this and that. And I said, you know what, Kyle? I'm not going to make a phone call. I hate making phone calls. If people aren't are, are too stupid to invest with us, um, then that's their deal. I'm not going to call them anymore. If they're that if they're that dumb yeah. and ignorant and they don't want to invest with us, well then fine. Let them keep pounding pounding their head against a, a brick wall. Um, if they don't see the opportunity, I'll just write a check, you know. And then I don't, I'll just I'll just write a check for the difference, and we'll just fund the deal. And let's just move forward because I hate it. I'm not going to beg people for money at this point in my life. I don't need to, um, and I won't. And so if I make an offering out there and I say, hey, guys, I got this badass project. If you want to work with us, this is my offering to you, and I'm going to do it one time. And for those, and I might send out two or three follow-up emails, but after that, you're not going to hear from me. I'm not going to call your phone. Yeah. If I do, I'm going to call it once, and that's it. That's I'm done. And um, and then I'm going to fund it. So the whole to answer your question, Scott, the reason I like buying land and building houses is because if I could teach people to do that, then I can cut out the bullshit of raising capital with people um, and begging people for money. And I can teach them how to go out and make money. And those good partners that I taught how to make money, they'll take that money and deploy it into my assets real easy because they advocate for me. They like me. And they'll and then I can go in with six partners instead of a hundred partners and, and and buy the same exact apartment complex. And it's, so the reason I like it is because even when the recession hit, Back in 2008, the housing market was just in shambles. Um, I, I was able to still go out and make profits. It's the only thing that continued making us big profits. 
And our profits were substantially smaller, but hundreds of homes I've built, Scott, hundreds of them, I've never lost money on even one. I've always made a profit on 100% of every single house that I've turned dirt on and I took out of the ground. And, and how do you do that? I mean, that's a great business, no matter what yeah. the economy has been. I tell people, like, I, I have my Seattle project going on right now, and we're going to make about two hundred and fifty to $300,000 per, per uh, dwelling out there. And so even if the market took a shit, Scott, even if the market got to its lowest point, and let's say it, it declined by 30 40%, well, if I take a 30 40% margin cut on $300,000, I'm still making a couple hundred thousand dollars on my on my uh, on my build, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I go to Palm Springs and if I'm going to make $160,000 on that build and if even if the market took a dump, I can still go out and make $80,000 on that build, it's still a win. And so that's why I love it so much because I, I there's less variables than fix and flipping. Um, I've done fix and flipping and I open up walls and I find problems and then my yeah. $30,000, $40,000, dollars margin goes to a $10,000 margin or no margin at all. And my risk factor goes up and there's too many variables in that, that are unforeseen variables. I just don't like that feeling of not knowing. Yeah. So what I like about buying land and building houses is I know the process. I know what to, I know how to reverse engineer them. I know when I buy my land, but I'm going to profit at the end. And that's why I love it so much. I could teach people how to do it. And I could take that capital and tell them, look, all the money you make, why pay taxes on it? Deploy it into a long-term holding, depreciate the hell out of that thing and pay zero in taxes. Now you have an asset and now you have the cash flow from that sucker coming in. You paid and you made a hundred percent of your money work for you in your benefit without having to pay taxes. And you're able to go out and have cash flow. And that's what it's about is passive income, cash flow in a nutshell. So, you know. Yeah. So yeah, that's 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 uh, that's what I want to pull out. I just want to understand the distressed brand play because that's what Ty is talking about on Instagram, on social, and like you know all these brands that nobody nobody's heard about in ten years. All of a sudden, Ty's buying up these assets, talking about Radio Shack, about Pier One. So what's the what's what's the play? Bringing all these companies to e-commerce. How did that come about? What was the what was the rationale the thought process behind that and what's happening with it i just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode crowd health now as we all know open enrollment is ending soon it's time to think about the best healthcare option for you and your family and i know a lot of people are still trying to figure out what to do now when it comes to healthcare, it's important that you're getting your money's worth crowd health helps you with covering medical expenses it's a more flexible and affordable healthcare option without the hassle of insurance. So while you're shopping around, don't forget to head to joincrowdhealth.com slash 99. Find out how CrowdHealth can save you 40 to 60% in healthcare costs every single year. And just to give you an idea of what CrowdHealth is, CrowdHealth isn't health insurance. It's a modern way to pay for medical expenses. CrowdHealth is a community of people who are tired of paying into a broken system. Being in the CrowdHealth community can save you hundreds of dollars in monthly expenses and put thousands of dollars back in your pocket. Now, you're probably asking, why would I choose CrowdHealth over traditional insurance? Three main reasons. Flexible, simple, membership-based. Membership is a monthly subscription, start or stop whenever you want. There's simple and transparent pricing that fits exactly what you need. To use it, all you have to do is scan bills and throw them away. CrowdHealth takes care of the rest. Now, CrowdHealth is 
able to offer incredible pricing because of its community of health conscious members. And they put together a special offer just for Success Story podcast listeners. So get your first six months at just $99 per month. That's a savings of almost 50% off their standard pricing and a lot less than one of those crappy high deductible plans. Just go to joincrowdhealth.com slash 99 and enter code success story at sign up. That's joincrowdhealth.com slash 99 and promo code is success story. Enter that when you sign up. Remember, crowd health is not health insurance. It's a community powered alternative. Terms and conditions do apply. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Playbook. Now, what is Playbook? Playbook is an app that gets to know your unique financial situation and helps you get the most out of every dollar you save. The best part, you don't have to do any crazy budgeting or change a single thing about your lifestyle. So if you're just making money, but you're not sure what to do with it, Playbook is the app for you. For the average user, Playbook helps boost their net worth by over one3 million dollars. Playbook tells you which tax advantaged accounts that you need, how much money to put into each one of them, and automates all of these investment processes for you. It's rare that you find a finance app that thinks about your finances as a whole. This includes your taxes, your savings, and your life goals. It was super simple to set up. I just set up all my accounts and then I set my preferences as to where I want to put my money and then it's on autopilot. So I can be investing in my Roth IRA and my travel fund or my new car fund or my wedding fund or my kids education fund all in one spot. And on top of that, because it can forecast where I'm going to be in 10, 20, 30 years, I know exactly how much money I'm going to have when I do want to retire or when I'm going to actually hit those milestones in my life financially because I've set up these automatic contributions. So if you want to get on the road to financial freedom, go to helloplaybook.com slash Scott. You can immediately predict when you can finally stop working. You don't even have to sign up for the service yet. You get a free playbook impact that's gonna predict your net worth if you follow the guidelines that they set out for you. So remember, go to helloplaybook.com slash Scott. That's your special link for a free assessment and basically roadmap for your future net worth. Sign up for Playbook today so you can enjoy financial freedom and beyond. So I can't take any, uh, I, can, I can't take any credit for any of that, Scott. I just, I've just been able to live and, and witness it, okay? <laughs> So I'm, before I pat myself on the back, I, I don't want anybody to be giving Jerome Maldonado <laughs> pats on the back for any of that. I was just wise enough to say, you know what? Holy shit, these guys are have something going here. And I started pulling money out of my pocket and investing and buying into them with them and, so, and giving capital to help buy them. So I just saw the opportunity. And so the whole thought was I was in Virginia. And we were looking at it. Uh, we were looking at a shopping center to buy. It was a four hundred fifty thousand um, dollar shop, a four hundred fifty thousand square foot shopping center, 40, 40 acre place. And uh, Ty and I are literally climbing up on the roof through the ladders of the entire side of this this mall. Right? It's a it's a mall. And um, and uh, and he's taking phone calls in the midst of all this stuff. And um, in the calls that he's taking are from um, are from big bankers, you know, equity. Uh, partners yeah. with these with these brands and so at the time it was um, um strictly 21 and there was some other ones a uh, uh, dress barn was another one and um and so he's negotiating i had the fortunate opportunity of driving with him from staten virginia over to richmond virginia for an hour and a half to the to the airport um sitting in the passenger seat with him talking to the to the uh to the bankers negotiating these deals and ty just kept saying man Jerome, if i can get these things if I can get these things purchased, this is going to be a game changer. 
And so I had the fortunate opportunity of actually seeing him in the, in the negotiation states to seeing all this unfolded. And we had a whole different business plan. Um, our, our, our business model was not to revolve around these brands. And then they just started unfolding. So everything that we were doing in real estate kind of took a back seat to, um, to the brands. And so I've understood that. And I've been very patient um, with that partnership because I understood what, what they were doing. So you take somebody who's intelligent yeah. in online marketing, right? You take somebody like Dr. Alex Mir. He took Zeus from yeah. zero um, to and sold it for $300 million in, um, in a private acquisition and, um, and did it on the New York Stock Exchange. And then, we, uh, and then you take someone like Ty Lopez, who built one of the strongest personal brands in the, in the world, um, was spending more on advertising than Coca-Cola, right? Um, one is the, yeah. At one point in time, he was the number one ad, um, um, ad spender on Facebook than anybody in the world. And so, and so you take somebody who knows online marketing and then you take the, the biggest American brands and what the plays were behind it where you say, okay, think about how long and how much money it would take for Scott, for you and I, just to go out and build a personal brand as big and as recognizable as Pier One Imports or Radio Shack or any yeah. of these large brands, right? Um, yeah. Right now they're, they're working on Payless Shoe Source. Uh, so, you know, Payless Shoes, uh, that yeah. hopefully, God willing, by the time this comes out, um, hopefully have it under ownership. And, um, and so a lot of these big American brands that have been, that are not only nation, national brands, but some of them are international brands like Radio Shack. And so you take this and you think about how long and how much money it would take to build it. And you take a look at like someone like Kylie Jenner, who you have Revlon and some of the largest makeup companies in the world and have been around for 30 plus years. And then in one year, Kylie supersedes all of their rev revenue that they've done <laughs> in 30 in just yeah. one year because of online marketing. So you think about the strength of e-commerce and online marketing, and that's really where these this this play comes in, in, into action. You take the reason that they're distressed is because of the real estate end of it. Um, they, they have all this brick and mortar that they're servicing debt on, and it's pulling their it's pulling them down financially. Same thing that happened to us back in 2008, right? And so they have to shake off all this real estate, but in the interim time, brands are still viable. People are still buying. Hundreds of millions of dollars are still being spent on these brands online and in stores, but it's all the debt that they've accumulated that they just can't service anymore. And they just never, they, they missed the boat on pivoting to go, to go online. Um, one of the most um, successful companies that has done this um, and has made this pivot is Nike Shoes. You know. Um, Nike shoes was struggling financially. They lost um, the Jordan brand and then they pivoted. And now they're one of the most successful online shoe brands in the world. And um, they did it successfully. But most companies haven't done it successfully. You take a, you look at old CEOs that are in their, 50, their 40s, 50s, and 60s. These mm -hmm. guys don't know anything about e-commerce. So to get them to adapt and create an online presence has been a challenge for them. They missed the boat. And so Ty and them were able to come in, pick up the pieces, and then put... Phase one to all these brands is to go in and put them 100% online, compete up against like Wayfair, compete up against um, Amazon on some of it, um, utilize some of those platforms to also help build um, our platforms on the brands. And then phase two will be um, maybe kiosks, um, little yeah. kiosk uh, centers and some small brick and mortars. But phase one is just to take the brands 100% online. And um, in my my partnership, and it was uh, ESR, was e-commerce supporting real estate. So any of the real estate, the uh, distribution, regional distribution, warehouses, industrial mm -hmm. warehouse space um, position where we could have um, distribution of these products from the from um, e-commerce e deliveries um, in regional areas where distribution could be done a lot easier. So, 
um, that's where that's where that kind of all came into play, and that's what they're doing right now with the with the online. Very no, it's very smart, and and you know what I've actually noticed. Um, just one more one more point on this is that Ty and yourself, you're all leveraging you're all leveraging your, your weak spots by in, in each other, right? So Ty doesn't have the commercial real estate, doesn't have the warehousing and whatnot. You don't have the marketing. So just speak to me on the, on, on the importance of, I guess, like subsidizing your own skill yeah. sets. Yeah. You know, it's, it's super important. This is, that's what I wasn't doing pre 2016. Um, I sat down with my wife and I said, you know, she goes, Jerome, you're going to kill yourself. You're gonna have a heart attack. You're trying to do everything yourself, you know? And um, I had to come to a realization that look, I, I'm, I, I'm only as good as the talents that I really, really specialize in. You've really got to outsource stuff that you're not, that you're not great at. Mm-hmm. And um, I always try to be great at everything to run all my businesses hundred percent myself. And I did, I was really successful. We made a ton of money all the way through 2000 up to 2016. Um, but we, in, in part of this movement in 2016 for me to grow and really take my business, my brands to the next level, um, I knew that I had to partner with the right people. And so in life, in business, Scott, it's super important for you to really focus on what your um, on what your superpowers are, right? What you're really honestly good at, mm-hmm. and figuring out what you're good at, and then allowing good people to surround yourself with good people that have better talents than you do in other areas that you have weaknesses, and allow them to run. And so, my wife complimented me the other day. She goes, "You know, um, because there's always a work in progress, right? There's always, you know, my wife knows more yeah. than anybody because we talk um, every day, and um, she goes, you know." And, and I was beating myself up on some stuff going, man, I need to do this better. I need to work on this. I got to train these sales guys better. This and this and this are our weak spots in our company right now. And I was just really pounding myself on what, where I needed to invest my time to make the company more solid. And she goes, you know, one thing that I'm proud of you that you've done well is you were able to take your, yourself off the reins of the horses and allow your part. And you've been able to create great partnerships, which was your main goal back in 2016 she goes and i'm proud of you for being able to do that because that was one of the hardest things for me to do scott was to remove myself and allow people to go in and partner with good people scott i got some great partners i got ramez up in in the south in the uh in the northwest i got kyle mitchell i got uh david carbajal i got ty lopez and and, and, and al and um, alex Mir, and we i got a good collaboration of partners now and through that collaboration of partners i got i'm just around just incredibly sharp smart um, and uh, honest people and people need to realize the importance of partnership. I couldn't be doing what I'm doing right now and being in as many places in the country with as, as large of projects that we have going on without great partnerships. Good advice. Okay. Let's do uh, let's do some rapid fire career questions to pull out some last insights and then we'll, uh, we'll send people, we'll send people to go check out more about you. We'll get some socials and website and whatnot. Awesome. Okay. Um, biggest challenge in your career. How'd you overcome it? Um, the mental, the mental side of it. Um, I stopped listening to people. Um, I, 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 yeah. How did I overcome it? Through persistence um, and ongoing, um, ongoing, um, putting myself around good people for a long period of time. Um, that's been my biggest challenge is, is uh, overcoming the mental side of things, the, the mindset. Um, if you could tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would it be? Um, not to dwell on on not to dwell on on things just to continue working and uh, be consistent and uh, stay positive in everything that you're doing and um you know i, I think my 20 year old self I, I was smart at 20 i, I, I gotta say i okay we'll go back to 16 when were you when were you dumb <laughs> <laughs> well I, I mean we're always dumb I'm dumb today I, there's yeah, yeah. Today that are dumb right so 
But yeah, at 16, I would have told myself the, the thing my dad told me. I think the one thing that I, my dad told me is I was a real edgy kid. So I always pushed the bar um, ethically, everything, right? I was edgy. I was, yeah. I was always trying to push the bar. And my dad always sat down and I, have a, I, have a, I come from a good family. My parents are just good people. And my dad told me, Jerome, you know, we raised you a certain way. And I'm telling you that if you never tell a lie, you never have to tell a story to back that lie. And he goes, you know, just do things ethically. And as long as you do things ethically and you do things right, um, you'll never have to explain yourself to anybody. And so as a 16-year-old kid, uh, moving into a 20-year-old kid, going through everything that I went through, all the ups and downs, trials and tribulations, um, that by far is has helped me with everything. And so I always think, I always put myself, and it's when I'm in a bad situation, I tell myself, okay, what would my dad do? Would he approve? If he was looking over my shoulder right now, would my dad approve of it? And um and my dad, fortunately enough, is still with us. And I tell him, you know, and so I, I run things through him sometimes. And um, I try to get some feedback from him. So I always tell people, you know, as a young entrepreneur, just do shit right. You know, everybody's yeah. trying to take a shortcut. There is no shortcut, man. It just takes a lifetime to build this stuff. You know, I'm, you know, I'm in my late 40s now. It takes a lifetime to build this. Good. Good. Uh, you're still young. Relax. Like. <laughs> All right. Um, if you had to choose one person that had a major impact on your life, who was it? What did they teach you? Um, you know, I'd probably give it to my mom, even over my dad, because um, my mom was, uh, she's, a, she's a spitfire for sure. And they're not entrepreneurs by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, my mom started as a bookkeeper and she uh, got into running nonprofit organizations in her later years. And my dad was a 32-year accountant. Um, but my mom was resilient. Um, when things were tough in life, I got in a bad car accident when I was 18 years old. And um, and she's always the one that makes the most sense. Um, even to this day, um, you know, when, when she was talking, even like when she's talking about pandemic and vaccinations, and she puts like, she puts perspective on things. And sometimes it's hard for people to put real life perspectives on things. And as, as, judgmental, as judgmental and as critical as my parents have been on me through my professional career, um, still the fundamentals, the basics that she's given me about um, staying persistent, um, not letting people um, tell you what to do. My mom has advocated for that and she and being able to press through through hard times, finding the good when there's bad happening. Um, you know, when I got in that car accident, she told me, Jerome, you can sit here and sulk. And she doesn't feel sorry for you. She doesn't yeah. feel sorry for anybody. And she'll sit back to you. You can sit here and sulk, Jerome, or you can find the good out of it because God puts good and there's good and bad in everything. But if there's but if you look and you allow God to unfold the good and you, and you focus on that, you'll always push forward. And she used to tell me that even when I got in that back car accident. And, um, and I always remember that. And I think I have to give that, that award to my mom uh, for being that person in my life. Uh, a book or podcast you'd recommend people check out? Um, a book in general business. Um, one of my favorites is called Rhino Success by Scott Alexander. Um, hence, that's where um, all the rhino stuff on my logo oh, gotcha, gotcha. and this stuff comes from is, um, is Rhino Success. It's a great book. Um, he, he uses the rhino as an analogy um, of what the perfect business person is. Um, and it's, it's just a great book um, to read. Um, it's a short book. Real short and sweet, um, but it's helped me out a lot in my career. Um, I think everybody should read that. Um, and then, as far as uh, a podcast, God, there's 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 so many good ones. I think my favorite is still uh, Joe Rogan, just because he's so raw. Yeah. Um, I don't know about the information coming out of it, but Joe Joe still has my heart on on those ones. But you know, Gary V, his pod, um, all the stuff with Gary V is good uh, for general business yeah. stuff. Uh, he makes a lot of sense. I, I I give him if you go to my YouTube, I I kind of challenge him on some stuff here and there about like. A, 
he, he makes comments about young people trying to become millionaires and that was me. And so I always kind of backlash Gary a little bit and say, Hey man, that was me. Yeah. That's what drove me. Don't take that away from the young entrepreneurs. That's my only thing with Gary is I tell him, don't take that drive away from the young entrepreneurs because that's what made me me. And so he always said, you have the rest of your life, be patient. And you do have to be patient, but keep that drive. I love that. Keep that drive. Um, uh, what does success mean to you? Um, success to me is, is um, it's, it's an abundance of all areas. I um, Really family success. If, if at the end of the day, Scott, um, I, I, I afford my family the ability to do whatever the hell we want and freedom and mm -hmm. flexibility, the money's one thing. But that's not success. And that's where most people get confused is that they get tied up when they don't have money, they get tied up in money. Um, really, success is about family. And I look at my kids and how fast they've grown up. And I look at my wife and all the years that we've been together. And I sit back and go, damn, where does time go? And um, I worry more about time now than I do the money. And I sit back and say, okay, I've got I've to focus on on balancing my time with my kids and um, really appreciating that time that I have with them. And, um, and so for me, Scott, real success comes from being healthy enough to be able to spend good quality time with my kids, my family. And, um, and if I, if I, if I raise my kids in the right way and they're able to have successful, solid lives, I, I'm, I'm successful. Um, if I make a ton of money and I fail my kids and my family, I failed, I failed in life, man. I just, I, I, I've really jacked things up. And so the way I feel right now is I, is less about the money. We talk about money in our house, but I talk about my kids more about their futures. And I, I, my, my focus more is, is about sculpting them. And I feel like if I can get them sculpted to where they have a good life, then I've succeeded. And, um, and so that's, that's success to me. I love it. Um, and then most importantly, where do people connect with you? Social website, all that. I'm easy to find just, uh, my name's on the bottom of the screen. Yeah. You guys can Google me anywhere, um, on every social media platform. It's Jerome Maldonado on Instagram. It's Jerome Maldonado and the number one. And, um, you'll see the same photo, same, um, same marketing, okay. same, uh, logos everywhere. Um, you can go to JeromeMaldonado.com. You can Google Jerome Maldonado and you guys will find me. I'm real easy to find. If you guys want more insight on on um, how we deploy money tax-wise, real estate, buy land, build houses, deploy that into multifamily and passive income, um, look us up. I, we, we're working with people all the time. We have an a incredibly solid inner circle of people that we work with and a, and a great successful uh, base of, uh, of entrepreneurs. And so- Love to meet a lot of you guys that are watching the podcast and hopefully get an opportunity to work with you guys as well. Perfect. All right. That's awesome, man. That Jerome, that's that's it. That's all I got. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. 
Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn Jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn Jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. 
This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 